Hashtag murder may contain explicit and disturbing material and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Hashtag Murder! Woo-hoo-hoo. I'm Scar. And I'm Alex. And we're millennials who love murder. And kittens! And more kittens. More kittens. Oh, we're keeping a, a close eye on the Fig Newton. He's a uh, Mr. Murder Mittens right now. He's been real spicy this morning. Murder. I, I love the murder muffins. Murder muffins. That's what, he, that's what he makes. I love that. I love that for him. I love that for us. Might be merch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Murder muffins. Katniss doesn't make muffins though oh she doesn't she does not make biscuits bread muffins none she don't make shit because she doesn't have time for you her her biscuit factory (laughs) had foreclosed it does never even opened it shut down uh it didn't even open before it got going yeah when we picked up newt um from mallory's we're like this is your only job son you have to make biscuits because your sister does not Uh, and he does he He does. does it he does he makes biscuits i love it um okay i have two Hot takes on men. Okay. (laughs) And they both happened this past week, and I'm still mad. Is it Dustin for both? No, it's Dustin for neither. What? Yeah, one happened at the park, and one happened on the road. Oh, let's hear it. So the road one, I'm leaving work, Mm -hmm. and it's like 8.30, Mm -hmm. and I'm just driving home. I haven't cut anyone off. I'm not on my phone. I don't know what prompted this. Oh, yeah? So I'm just driving, and this car comes up next to me real quick, and then they slow down to, like, match my speed. Weird. And I was like, what? That's sus. And then he honks at me, so I look over, and he flicks me off, and then he, like, swerves in front of me, and then brake checks me. And then Why? literally flicks me off the entire rest of the drive and driving five under the speed limit for what? until he turns. For what reason? I have no idea. You made him mad. <laughs> I don't know what I did. There was no other cars on the road. I wasn't texting. I, I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> it was so strange. And so like I was going to go around him, but what if he's insane? Yeah. And what if he murdered you? Yeah. Um. So... That, that was... reminded me of when I was leaving your house the other day after we recorded on fr- whatever day it was. Yeah. Thursday, Friday, what somewhere. Happened? Whatever day. I was leaving your like, you know where yeah. is, like, any turn. Well, fucking Matthew was just sitting in the middle of on, like, I was driving on the right-hand side. He was driving, he was sitting on the left-hand side. And people were having to, like, harsh break and go around him. And this is, like, it was, like, 9.30, so it was dark. Yeah. He was just chilling there. Wait, his... Him, his person, or him in his car? Him, his person. He was just sitting there. No vehicle, no nothing. He was just sitting what? there. Yeah, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? That's so weird. He so wasn't like, doing anything? No, he wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting there, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I'm going to call the cops anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I called, and I was like, hey, there's some homeboy just sitting in the middle of almost getting run over. He probably needs to be picked up. I don't know what the fuck's going on with him. Yeah. And the lady's like, oh, we already have someone he dispatched um, to go check that out. And I was, oh. like, I was like, oh, well, that's good that I'm not the only one that called. But yeah, someone needs to go pick him up. Oh, my God. That's wild. And you know, that reminds me of that. I don't know. This happened a couple years ago, but this lady was just running naked down 26. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> she was just running naked. Or maybe it was a dude. I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing two different stories. Um. But yeah, that reminded me of that. 
So that was weird. And then my second hot take on men, not the movie men, because I did just watch that movie and it was very good, but very bizarre. So I do recommend it. Just the ending gets a little, little weird, hmm. but it was really good. Reminded me of Midsummer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same uh, weird vein. Um, but anyways, my other hot take, I'm at the park. I work at a park. Mm-hmm. It's not serious. It's really no. not. So one of my coworkers comes back in from going on a walk and she was like, this man just yelled at me and this man in a red shirt, he just yelled at me. And I was like, what was he yelling about? So we have this pavilion and it has bathrooms, but the bathrooms are locked unless the pavilion is rented out. They're just for events. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, but also kind of doesn't. I don't know. Weird. Okay. Yeah. So he yelled at her because the bathrooms were locked. And then she explained that they're locked unless it's rented. And yeah. And I didn't really think too much of it. And I was like, eh, just a, you know, old man, whatever. And then she calmed down. She was fine. So then like an hour later. Did he take a shit in the middle of the field? (laughs) No. Uh, That would have been more fun. So about an hour later, uh, this man comes walking in and he has a red shirt on. And I was like, fuck, this is the dude who just yelled at little Sarah Little Sarah. I know. Oh my God. Sarah's so funny. I keep trying to get her to listen to the podcast and she just, she can't do it. She, mm-hmm. She's not into true crime. <laughs> yeah, that's how Whitney is too. Whitney will not listen to it. <laughs> she's not into it at all, uh, which is fine, but she's hilarious. I love working with her. Um, so this man walks in and he's got his two grandchildren with him. I'm getting angry all over again. And it's me and my coworker who's a little bit older than me and another male coworker who's a little bit younger than me. And he walks in and he says, who do I need to file a complaint with? And I kind of looked at Michelle and I was like, I mean, I guess you can, I didn't say anything fast enough for him. So he says, come on, speak up. Um, sir. I got real fired up. So then I was like, I guess just start talking because we're listening to you. We're the only ones here right now. So he's like, I don't understand why these bathrooms are locked. And then he points his finger at me and says, how would you like it if you had to pee in the middle of the woods? This is like a 70 year old white man. So me, taking things literally, I said, well, sir, I was in the military for five years, so it really doesn't phase me at all. And I really wanted to know why he was asking me personal questions about my bathroom usage. Yeah. But he didn't let me get that part out. I did tell him that I have no problem doing that. And he just went on and on. I told him to stop pointing his finger at me. Alex, I was so mad. Sir. I had to go sit in the car. Also, um, I'm going to point out that he can just whip it out. Well, he had his grandchildren with him, and that's the point he was trying to make. He was like, we're not talking about the army. I said, you asked me a personal question. Yeah. I gave you a personal answer. I understand your point you're trying to make, but you're coming off as a fuck the, Doesn't the park have other bathrooms to use? It does. Yeah. What the, what the fuck's the problem then? <laughs> I was so mad. I had to call Dustin. I was like, I need to calm down. And then apparently I was being like real like angry and whatever. So at the end... <laughs> Whenever Dustin hang up, he said, all right, love you, mom. Talk to you later. <laughs> I said, did you just call me mom? And he was like, you're giving me real Gayleen vibes right now. <laughs> oh, my God. But I was so angry. So those are my hot takes on men this week. Hmm. Um, but a fun thing on, uh, I saw it on Instagram, the, the duck. <laughs> the what? The duck that got on the roller coaster. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> if Whitney dies and gets reincarnated as a duck that's gonna be her 
That's 100% going to be Whitney. Oh, my God. It was so fa- it, It's at uh, Cedar Point. It yeah. goes 93 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Whitney has been on that roller coaster. <laughs> I have. I went to Cedar Point uh, my senior year of high school. Oh, man. I thought that was really funny. I laughed out loud. Yeah, that's a Whitney. That's, I, I named that duck Whitney. <laughs> it just flew right on. and Did It's probably s- the fastest duck <laughs> ever. For, yeah. Did you see that? Um, they, they think that they know who Jack the Ripper is. What? Yeah. I need more details before i buy it oh. so we have to i have to go do some research on that okay mm-hmm. but well, some, some is he dude, still alive i i doubt it oh wait how long ago was that uh <laughs> when did the murder stop hold uh, please we gotta do a googs this is a really long intro i apologize no way that he's still alive when was he active 1888 so oh. no this man's dead this man's dead dead <laughs> if he is alive he's like 150 years old <laughs> he's a wizard yeah oh my god oh man okay so sorry that was so long i had to go on that rant though anyway we um have a different one for you today oh we have our first poisoning <gasps> that's not our first oh poisoning. not a pr- first mass poisoning okay there you go yeah yeah first mass poisoning okay yeah so all right we're talking about the chicago tylenol murders oh mm-hmm also, also known as the mad poisoner oh don't know anything about it yeah um and i apologize in advance i kind of go off on like a little side quest during this uh episode but it does pertain to the story and you will understand after we're done talking about it all right neat let's fucking go if you've never heard of this fucking absurd strange case this event actually changed the way we like view and like handle over-the-counter medications for the rest of time oh and it's like one of the most terrifying things that could ever be happening in your city oh my uh do you know what acetaminophen is um ibuprofen yep that's what it is that's basically what it is (laughs) Um, Uh, it gets rid of the aches it gets yes it gets rid of the aches the fevers all that good stuff um 500 different medications from you know dayquil to tylenol it's in vicodin all that good stuff it was originally marketed in 1955 and by 1979 it was the number one product in the health and beauty aid category oh huh weird to put well health and beauty aids okay i say weird to put that in with like lipstick and lipsticks and shit yeah <laughs> eyeshadow. uh originally there was no plastic seal or like fancy lids like protecting the bottle it came in a basic cardboard box with a few cotton balls inside okay. which nowadays no one would buy that no they'd be like no i'm gonna die if i buy that <laughs> oh no seems a little unsafe just a little like you could just pick up that bottle and there'd be like arsenic in it yeah um i'm sure that was like that with like food though right were things not really like a jar of peanut butter no nope. it... not oh, really okay yep <laughs> okay <laughs> uh the versatility of this drug is inevitably led to it being the perfect product for this murderer to use in his or her crimes oh my wait his or her who did it who done it okay this better technically not, this better not be <gasps> no you can't do this to me but <laughs> by the time we're finishing with the episode you'll be like oh i know who done did it oh even though it's technically unsolved oh okay on september 29th 1982 12 year old mary kellerman woke up with a sore throat before school and her mom did as any mom does in the 80s Take some fucking Tylenol. Drink some water. Drink some water. You'll be fine. You're going to school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, her mom told her to stay home from school, and around 6.30 that morning, she went to use the bathroom. And this is right after she had the Tylenol. Mary's father was in a room down the hall, and he heard a loud thud, so he called out to Mary to make sure she was okay. 
but he didn't get an answer. Dad gets a little worried, so he barges in to find Mary on the floor, unconscious in the bathroom. <gasps> She's 12? She's 12. Oh, Mary. EMS was called to the home, and paramedics tried every option they had to revive Mary, but three hours later, she was pronounced dead at the hospital. Oh my god, a child. A, a baby, yeah. Oh. Medical personnel was completely shocked by what happened, and they were unsure of what could cause a seeming, seemingly healthy 12-year-old child to just, like, drop dead. Yeah. Later that same day, in a neighborhood close to the Kellermans, we're in suburbia, uh, Chicago, a man named Adam Janis would become the next victim of the Tylenol. Oh my. Adam worked for the post office and thought he was coming down with a cold, so he called in sick and just wanted to get some rest. Yeah. Keep in mind, nobody knows it's the Tylenol right now. They're just, they're trying to figure out why Mary just dropped dead all of a sudden, and they don't know why. So nobody knows it's the Tylenol right now. All right. So later that morning, Adam told his kids he was feeling ill and needed to go lay down. He stumbled into the kitchen and passed out onto the floor in front of his kids, and at 11.54 a.m., he had slipped into a coma. In front of his children? In front of his children. Oh, my Just, God. Oof. Yep. Oh, so damn. paramedics, again, were called to the home, but unfortunately, there was nothing they could do. Adam had passed away only a few minutes after arriving at the hospital. Wow. The family left the hospital and headed back to the Janice home to talk and console one another about, like, the devastating news they just received. While they were there, Stanley, Adam's brother, started having some pain from his existing back condition and took a couple Tylenol to ease it. No. In just the same... His brother? His brother. No! Same house. Oh, my. Because they're all just at the family home talking things over. Yeah. Um, just a few moments later... He was standing in front of the family, about to go outside and smoke a cig, when he suddenly grabbed his chest and fell to the floor. His oh eyes rolled to the back of his head, and he had white foam coming out of his mouth. How was this happening, like, instantaneously? Like, just boom, one after the other. Oh, my God. Because they don't know it's the Tylenol. They, why would you think it's that? Oh, man. It's supposed to be safe. So yeah. the same medics that had been called to the scene for Adam showed up for a second time that same day at the home to now help Stanley, the brother, and they were in complete disbelief as to what could be happening to this family. Same day. Same day. I wonder if they were thinking that uh, his wife or someone in the family was, Probably. like, poisoning them or Doing somehow. something, yeah. Damn. Or weird illness that they don't know about. Yeah. So, as they were loading Stanley into the ambulance, Stanley's wife, Teresa, started having terrible head pain, and then she no. collapsed to the ground. No! I knew you were going to hate this. Oh my God. You just gave me, oh, you just gave me chills. Oh my God. Then Monica, who's the 10 year old niece of all three of the victims, was freaking the fuck out. as like anybody would. And yeah. she's 10 and a child. And she ran over to her mom and begged her not to die. Oh. It's very sad. Very, very oh sad. Oh my God. Police evacuated the family out of the Jana's home and stuck them all into quarantine. They probably think there's something in the air, yeah, maybe. or like in the home, something. Damn. At the time, they thought the sudden deaths could have been the cause of a toxic gas leak. Yeah. At 8 p.m. that night, Stanley Janice was dead and Teresa was close to it and the police had no idea what they were dealing with still. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Yeah, like I, you know, like I die at the hospital. They come home to like, you know, just console Whitney. Someone takes Tylenol and like passes out again. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Oh, God. Yep. Sounds, it's like a, like a medieval curse. It's like, what is happening to yeah, our family? Like, what in the hell? It sounds like it should be the Bible. Yes. <laughs> so oh, man. they were hoping that medical officials could figure out what was killing these people so they could potentially get Teresa an antidote to save her life. So 
Stan and Adam are already are dead. dead. Yep. And then we got Teresa, who's almost dead. Yep. Okay. Uh, nightmare wasn't over yet. This same day, about a half hour away in the town of Winfield, Mary Reiner, a.k.a. Lynn, was experiencing some body aches due to the recent birth of her fourth child, who was just turning a week old. Oh, new mom yeah. for the fourth time. Yeah. Oh. Lynn Reiner was only 27 years old, just like Adam, completely healthy. Yeah. That afternoon, Lynn Reiner hit the floor, just like all three of the previous victims, and went into a coma. Lynn's husband found her and called the paramedics immediately. Uh, now this, this same day, crazy. we got another one. What? Got another one. Oh, man. Mary McFarland, who was 31, was at her... A lot of Marys. A lot of Marys, yep. Huh, weird. Okay. Well, it's, it's, you know, the 80s in Chicago, so... That's true. Um, yep, so she's 31. She's at her job at the Illinois Bell Phone Center. She told some co-workers she had a horrible headache, and just moments later, she was comatose and hit the floor, just like all the previous victims. Oh, my God. Yep. Like, what are these people thinking? Like, yeah, so now we got a 12 year old, two brothers who were, you know, in the late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. A lady in her late 20s, and now this lady in her early 30s. Wild. Once the Janice household had been looked through and seemed safe, investigators and a public health nurse, Helen Jensen, returned to the home to investigate the cause of the mysterious deaths. Okay, I feel like Helen's gonna, she's gonna get it. Somebody's gonna get it. Cool. So, tell me more. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, and they were hoping something would stick out to them and explain what they were dealing with. Yeah. They're like, nothing's There's nothing weird. to go off of. There's no weird smells. Like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? Yeah. Air so, quality's fine. Yep. Like, what? Ah, so, okay. according to Nurse Jensen, one specific object caught her eye a red and white bottle of extra strength tylenol that was sitting in the bathroom cabinet jensen brought the container out to the kitchen and poured the contents onto the table she and another investigator counted the pills in the bottle and compared it to the number of pills in the box and realized that there were three adult doses missing from the box three doses equaling the three janices that it affected oh so jensen insisted the medication was the most likely culprit of the sudden deaths but the other investigators weren't convinced yeah because i mean like like, why? Why, why would, would it... Why would it be the Tylenol? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Uh, Tylenol was literally on every single shelf and counter in America. Like, there was no way it could be that. And interesting that she... Um, that was, like, one of the first things she, she went noticed. to. Yeah. Okay. She's like, cool. Oh, maybe it's that. Because, like, she, know, she knew that all three of them had, like, been experiencing some kind of pain or ache. Right before... Right before. Happened. Happened. Okay. And, you know, she's like, maybe they all three took this. Damn. Which, like, if I was an investigator, I wouldn't want it to be the Tylenol either. Because that could mean, like, literally anybody could be next. A bit, literally anyone. Yeah. Oh, man. Because so, you get... Wait, I'm sorry. What year are we in? <laughs> 1982. 82. So, like, they couldn't even do, like, a world... Nationwide, like, everyone get rid of your Tylenol. What? Quickly. Oh. oh. Maybe they do. Ah. All right, so, keep going. Uh, as seemingly outrageous as the Jansen's theory seemed, it made one of the investigators think about Mary Kellerman, who had died earlier that morning for seemingly no reason at all. Yeah. At the time, the paramedics on call had taken note of everything the girl had ingested before she went unconscious, including a dosage of Tylenol that her mom had given her. Oh. Oh, I wonder if that's... I wonder if they've always done this or this is new after this. Whenever you go to like the doctor, they're like, what medication have you taken today? Or do you still take this medication? I wonder if this has something to do with that. I don't think Maybe. so. Maybe. Well, because they would have taken, they, they already took note of what she had. Oh. Uh, but the, the Tylenol from the Kellerman home was collected by investigators. And once both packages were in possession, they contacted the deputy chief medical examiner. All right. Edmund Donahue. Oh. Yeah. Good old 
Eddie. Good old Eddie. <clears throat> so he noticed that both packages of Tylenol had the same control number, MC2880. Whoa, okay. And Johnson & Johnson had issued a recall out for the bottles in that same lot. Oh, they'd already done that before mm -hmm. all this? Yep. Oh. Gets even stranger. Oh, okay. Oh, yep. Donahue told the detectives to open the bottles and smell them. He suspected that cyanide could be the culprit, and when the detective confirmed the pills smelled like almonds, Donahue immediately knew what the problem was. Almonds? Um, yeah, cyanide smells like almonds. What? Oh. Yeah. Weird. So they... And they still smelled like that? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, because it would have been like, do I need to start sniffing my medication? Yes. <laughs> before I take it? Yes. <laughs> I bet you Dustin does do that. That seems like something he would do. He's a weirdo. Probably. Anyway, both bottles were sent to the county's chief toxicologist, Michael Schaefer, to test them, and they found that each pill left over from the Janice home had contained three times the fatal amount of cyanide. Wow. Where do you even get cyanide? Hydrogen cyanide <laughs> is a chemical asphyxiant. Yeah. Even a small amount of the drug will block your blood cells from using the oxygen you're breathing. As soon as a few minutes, your brain will start to deteriorate, your spinal cord and lungs will shut down, and then your heart eventually stops beating. The amount of cyanide found in the pill bottles was enough to kill up to a thousand people. A thousand? A in thousand. One pill? In one pill. That's bonkers. Dr. Donahue held a press conference immediately and warned the public not to take any Tylenol for the time being since any pill in those bottles could have been deadly. But it had already been recalled. That doesn't mean everybody's putting their shit back. Yeah. Like, sending it back. That's true. More, more stuff happens. I have no idea what's going on. You never I'm do. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Okay. All right. Go. Essentially, every single bottle of Tylenol on a store shelf or already in a home was the equivalent of playing like Russian roulette. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Just in case the message was missed by people not watching the news report at 10 a.m. because people are working, the cops were patrolling the streets with bullhorns yelling, do not take the Tylenol. Whoa. Which I put in the notes. <laughs> I forgot that I put that, that Harley would be really good at this. <laughs> Don't take the Tylenol. Don't take the fucking Tylenol. <laughs> Throw it away. <laughs> Flush it. <laughs> and then the beat cops were patrolling the neighborhoods and going door to door with plastic bags in hand, ready to take any Tylenol bottles on hand. Wow. They're like, knock, knock. Give me your Tylenol. Okay, bye. Now, is this just in the Chicago area? Just in the Chicago area for now. So the okay. Chicago city and then the suburban areas nearby. I wonder if they've reached out to other uh, states cities well i'm jumping ahead yeah, yeah just stop doing that <laughs> sorry. eventually news spread and with that fear among the chicago residents they're all freaking the fuck out oh yeah naturally doctors and hospitals were getting more calls than they could handle of people calling in freaking out that they had just taken tylenol and saw the news so they were scared that they were about to die well i mean if they if it was that they would have already been dead they would exactly. have had time to call that's essentially what doctors told them they're like are you breathing okay Yes. Then you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. In the first few days that the Tylenol panic was uh, supposedly condensed to the suburbs. Supposedly. Oh my. But on Friday, October 1st, the deadly Tylenol finally breached the inside of the city limits of Chicago and they experienced their first case. Oh my god. So it's still still going. Still going. Ah. Around 5 p.m. in Old Town, cops broke into the apartment of a 35-year-old flight attendant, Paula Prince. Oh, Paula. She was lying in the doorway of her bathroom with a bottle of Tylenol still on the counter, and the coroner concluded that she had died two days prior, the same date of the first case, and around the same time. So it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't a few days later. later. It was actually the same day. Oh my god. I wonder if it was like every single pill in the bottle, or was it just like the top four, or... 
I think it was every pill because if it was enough to kill a thousand people just in those two bottles, I would assume that every pill had a dosage of the God stuff. Is in this it. some like mad scientist shit? Yes. Uh, so, the Chicago PD, after confirming the deadly Tylenol was in both the suburbs and the city, thought it was time to inform the mayor. Unfortunately, they were having a hard time tracking her ass down because she wasn't home. Uh, and May- no one knew where she was? They knew where she was. Oh. Uh, mayor Jane Byrne was quite the social butterfly and knew how to work the political game, and so she was jumping around different parties, like different little political parties going on. Oh. Yep. She was... Uh, Networking. Yeah. Okay. She was doing the Harley. Sure. Yep. She loves that shit. She does. I fucking hate networking. <laughs> Harley's so good at it. She is really good at mm-hmm. it. <laughs> the police superintendent eventually got a hold of the mayor while she was on route to another party and informed her of the several deaths that have been discovered over the last few days. Yeah. What you gonna do now, mayor? Mayor. <laughs> Yo, Jane. What's happening? <laughs> she immediately went to making a game plan for the epidemic and got on with her team to figure out the best course of action. Oh. Mayor Jane... She's got big boob energy. Oh, mm-hmm. so we like Mayor Jane. Mayor Jane's got big boob energy. So cool. she held an emergency press conference and alerted all the local news stations who ended up broadcasting it all over the nation live. Ah. Nationwide broadcast. All right. Good deal. At 11 p.m., she stood for the conference and warned all Chicagoans of the deadly Tylenol and the gravity of the situation. Yeah. She then made a direct appeal to Johnson & Johnson and challenged them to recall every single bottle of Tylenol on store shelves to keep everybody safe. Which I'm sure they did not want to do, because that's their cash cow. But... Um, I have a little theory about Johnson and Johnson, but we're uh-huh. going to get to it. Okay. So this, you know, news conference caused a lot of nationwide panic and people weren't just afraid of the tainted Tylenol, but also like other household items they regularly took or gave to their children. Like oh, it could be, be anything. everything away. I'd be, I'd like, be like, you know no, what? I'll just have this headache. Yep, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> It'll go away. I don't need to eat. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Since Tylenol didn't have a safety lid at the time, neither did other grocery or medical items. And realistically, anything could have been tampered with. Literally. Now, your your milk, your orange juice, peanut butter, bread. Oh my god. Anything. Okay. A hotline was set up and over 31 million bottles of Tylenol were collected from the entire U.S. The estimated loss of product was $100 million. Damn. So now... All eyes are on Johnson and & Johnson, and as part of their recall, they set up different labs around the country that were examining the pills recalled and testing a majority of them that they found. Yeah. They found three other unopened bottles that had cyanide in the brim of the bottle. <gasps> Two were already in homes, and the third bottle was found in another Chicago store. Ah, you just gave me chills again! Mm-hmm. Oh. Imagine if you were the person that turned in that Tylenol. Uh. And there's no way to know. I mean, no. they're not keeping track of... Well, maybe they were They were. Track. Yeah, they were. Oh, that way oh they my could, God. That way they would know where the Tylenol was bought, too. One was still on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Ah! Deadly, <laughs> the ticking time bomb. Oh, my God. So Mayor Jane Burns made a risky decision. She saved a ton of lives. She did, yeah. And, like, I, have to, I do have to give it to Johnson & Johnson. They did the right thing by recalling all of it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So the Tylenol Task Force... Was finally founded. The TTF. The TTF. <laughs> Where do you work at? I work for the TTF. Tylenol Task Force. Oh, I feel like I feel like George Bush would have needed to work on this. <laughs> Fellow Americans, don't take your Tylenol. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But don't do it. <laughs> so, uh, it combined many local, state, and federal law enforcement, and the press had deemed the suspect the Mad Poisoner. So. The mad- the mad pooper. The mad pooper. <laughs> <laughs> <Buzzburger>. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. The Mad Poisoner. Mm -hmm. Woo. Okay. He's killing everybody. Damn. All right. So, investigators thought the unsub purchased a bottle of Tylenol, emptied some of the capsules with capsules laced with cyanide, screwed the lid back on, placed it back on the shelf in Chicago. So, these were not um, solid tablets. These were, like, with the... The powder the gel or whatever inside they uh it's like the you know the little red the red and white caps that you can like pull apart and it has the powder inside I've never done that it's like that oh no i have done that yeah that now they're like time. they're just like white hard powdered pills before they were like the loose powder the loose powder oh. inside that little cap i mean they still make those but like that's what this was all right cool so hmm. they thought that the, this unsub was purchasing some tylenol bottles swapping out some of the pills for cyanide and then putting it back on the shelf but so they look the same they look the same because they just use the casing yeah they, they use the same casing dump oh. it out and then put cyanide in there wow mm -hmm. that is maniacal yeah um if this had happened now this guy would be on like every cctv on a store because like well, we're in 1982 right now uh, so not a lot of stores had cctv yeah which is why he was able to get away with it and there's no credit cards either That's so like crazy. you know you're not seeing anybody purchase cyanide with a credit card but it's only in chicago it's all in chicago and i'm assuming they know where the one on the shelf was but once again no cameras no I mean, cameras and like it's just in a cardboard box too so like what are you gonna do yeah the total amount of contaminated bottles in the case was eight, and they estimated the entire process from getting the bottles, tampering with them, and replacing them back into the shelves on stores would have taken about seven hours. It was only eight? All from the same store? No. Different stores. Whoa. <laughs> this person is... Unhinged. Yeah. Devious. What was the most concerning for the police at this point was that they couldn't figure out what the motive would be for a crime like this since there was no clear intended victim. Like yeah. you have a 12-year-old kid. A, a family. A family. Um, who, I mean, it could have been any of them. And then like yeah. a flight attendant. Like what? what's happening here? Yeah. It's someone who clearly hates all of humanity mm -hmm. and does not care who gets in their way yeah one investigator thought it could have been a former employee of johnson and johnson oh, which is a fair assumption yeah uh looking for revenge so they interviewed every like disgruntled employee as well as anyone involved with the delivery or purchase of the bottles like example truck drivers delivery drivers cashiers store workers that kind of stuff yeah the media actually played a really helpful role in this case for once uh specifically the three major newspaper networks at the time the sun times the tribune and the daily herald every single front page was devoted to catching the poisoner and journalists investigators and undercover officers actually scheduled themselves to be present at all of the funerals in hopes to catch the unsub popping up oh they love to do that they do love to do that after not generating any solid leads and the case really wasn't going anywhere investigators decided to open up several hotlines for the public to call in with any tips Love a good tip line. Love a good tip line. They're usually a hot mess, but we love them. <laughs> yeah, we usually so, don't get any information from them. No. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> a solid lead is like finding a needle in a haystack for those. Yeah. Um, so they had to go through a lot of bullshit. Oh, yeah. And calls were pouring in all day and night. I bet. Because people think that their friends and family are completely insane. And, and they're like, listen, my friend Scarlett, <laughs> I don't know if she knows how to do this. She probably would. And, you know, you get your normal, like, psychics and shit, you know. Oh, Like, this yeah. one guy called and said that he had a magic pen that told him all the answers when he wrote with it. Oh, like, he was doing that thing where you're yeah, not you're looking. Yeah, you're just looking at it. You're just writing. Just scribbling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a thing. Is it a thing? I think it is. It's not a thing. 
On October 6th in New Jersey, the board members for Johnson & Johnson got together in a conference room to discuss the situation at hand. Yeah. I they're bet like, they were shitting their pants. We're like, fuck, we're losing a lot of money. What we got to do? Yeah. The head of security had just delivered a photocopy of a letter written in blog letters that was directly addressed to the executives at Johnson & Johnson. Oh. So we're getting a little... This is some cheeky shit. All right. Was supposedly from the killer claiming he tampered with the pill bottles and demanded they give him $1 million to stop. Okay. And this... Th- this gen- isn't the actual person, clearly. We'll right? get to it. Okay. <laughs> this genius of a man included his bank routing number. Oh. And the letter had a partial print on it from the writer. <laughs> uh, yeah, the real person is not this stupid. No. Uh, or no. are they? Are they? Oh. there's no way to know unfortunately fingerprinting wasn't a huge thing yet especially like recording them electronically Uh, and more often than not investigators would compare fingerprints manually by hand rather than running them through the database the database the database (laughs) the fish with glasses (laughs) since it wasn't super reliable like it is now Uh, yeah that's what they did in the eileen case and then Mm -hmm. they found it within like 15 minutes yeah it's just lucky Investigators decided their best route was to take the letter to the public yet again, hoping to get some tips on who the culprit could be. In October 1982, at a bar not too far from the victim, Paula Prince, the one that was the flight attendant that lived in the city, yeah, a warehouse dock worker at Melrose Park named Roger Arnold walked into a bar boasting about his thoughts on the Tylenol murders and how he possessed cyanide at home. Uh- Hmm, okay. <laughs> Roger Arnold was a frequent flyer at that bar, and the bar owner, Marty Sinclair, phoned the hotline and reported Roger's strange behavior and also noted that he had been acting very erratic since his marriage had failed. Oh. He's like, Roger's a fucking weird dude. He keeps bragging about being able to do this. Yeah. Just Someone should go talk to him. Buckets of cyanide at his home. Yeah. It's not good. Fucking weirdo. Okay. I don't know what to do about this. Y'all, y'all handle it. But also, also don't think it's him because I don't think this person would be bragging or drunk at a bar. Maybe. Oh my God. Okay. I'm speculating entirely too much. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Chicago police later on arrested Roger Arnold for a previous assault charge and put him into interrogation room to question about the Tylenol murders. They're like, we don't have enough evidence to arrest him for that. We can pop him for this. Yeah. So I like it whenever they do that. I do. That's fun. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Arnold was apparently a self-proclaimed chemist, and he openly told investigators that as that as well as bragged about it to bar patrons. He's like, I'm so fancy. I can do all this fancy science shit. I'm basically like Breaking Bad. Okay. Which I've never seen. So, <gasps> you haven't seen what? Harry Potter, so when you watch <laughs> Harry Potter, I'll watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> Oh, okay, real quick. We're going to start a Patreon. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've already started it. I just don't know how it works yet. Um, Naturally. And I think for our first, like, segment, I'm going to watch Harry Potter. I was thinking about this. I was like, maybe I should just watch it and then try to recap it to you. Mm-hmm. And then you can, like, correct you. Fix everything. Per, per usual. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, keep your eyes peeled for that. I did get a comment <laughs> from uh, Brian on the Midwest football podcast and he said that he like really enjoys when you try to explain sports ball to me (laughs) and i have to correct you he's like she's not wrong in some of her questions like if you play for the all-american team what team do you play against is it the all Amer? is it the all canadian team (laughs) and i was like that's fair that's fair anyway (laughs) thanks thanks for validating back back to roger arnold okay so arnold was a dock worker at a warehouse 
Well, that specific warehouse he worked for was a grocery chain called Jewel Osco, which just so happened to be the grocery store the Janice family bought their Tylenol at. Oh, so maybe it was him. Maybe it was. Uh, It's technically unsolved. Because he wouldn't have had to have purchased it if he's delivering it. He could just swap out the bottles when he's dropping off. Yeah. Yep. So cops began digging into the employee records of the warehouse Arnold worked for and found another connection to the murders. And they found that Arnold worked with the father of Lynn Reiner, who was the third victim. Oh. Mm-hmm. So now... Weird connection, but also... Very it's odd. It's too random. It's too random, yeah. It's just a coincidence. And it's like, uh, what At do they call point. it? Fucking, um, when the, circumstantial. Yeah. It, yeah. So now yeah. investigators are like full on Arnold. They're like, he fucking did this shit. Yeah. So they obtained a search warrant to get into Arnold's residence and found a like makeshift chemistry lab in the home, several unlicensed firearms... And an alarming set of reading material, including mercenary magazines and criminal instruction guides on how to make potassium cyanide. Uh, just casually. Just casual. They're shit. on like his coffee table. Yeah. Light, Light reading. reading. <laughs> it's the, the, your bathroom magazines. Light reading. Okay. So they also recovered the bag of white powder they thought would be the cyanide he was bragging about in this interview. It was cocaine. They ran into a teeny tiny problem. Okay. The, they get the powder back to the lab for testing, and they found it was not cyanide, but potassium carbonate. Oh, what's that? Which isn't toxic, as its most common use is making soap. Oh, so he's a chemist in that he likes to make homemade soaps. Soaps, yep. <laughs> That's yeah. really funny. But he was like, I'm making cyanide, a.k.a., you know, bar soap. <laughs> he makes Dove. Okay. Makes Dove, yep. <laughs> Roger Arnold insisted that he was just an average law-abiding citizen when presented with the circumstantial evidence. And since that's all Chicago PD had on him, they had to let him go. But wasn't he just bragging about... Yeah. He's like, I don't got anything to hold me. (laughs) But you you can't hold me on this shit. You can't prove it. What? But Roger Arnold was hissed about how Chicago PD treated him during the arrest and interrogation. I'm like, I mean, bro, you, you they literally you said you people. did it. Yeah. So how else do you think they're going to treat you? But Roger's like, I want to know who <laughs> fucking turned me in. Uh, oh. This is when shit hits the fan. Oh, oh, shit. He's going to go after that bartender. Why do you have to ruin my punchlines? Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Roger wanted revenge on whoever it was that called the police on him. And yeah. He's just taken away. Oh, my. So in June 1983, Roger had just finished a long night of drinking, and he wandered outside of a bar on Lincoln Avenue, where he thought Marty Sinclair would be. Thought he would be. Wait, is Marty the bartender? Marty, the bar owner. Or owner. Yep. Sinclair came out of the bar, and Roger yelled, you turned me in, and he shot him. (gasps) Sinclair fell to the ground, and Roger made a run for it. Unfortunately, Roger Arnold was fucking drunk off his shit oh my god to get hit by car no <laughs> he did something worse oh shit uh and he didn't get a good look at you know sinclair before he shot him uh he didn't actually shoot sinclair he shot a guy that looked like sinclair <gasps> named john stanisha oh, who was no. an it specialist and father of three. Oh, did he kill him there were plenty of eyewitnesses outside the bar that night and it did not take long for investigators to track down roger arnold and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison for the murder of john stanisha oh. who he thought was marty sinclair bye arnold bye arnold you fucking, fucking moron, moron. Yeah. <laughs> what oh my 
my God. And he didn't even do this. No. And he just killed him? Yep. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wild. I I actually lied. I have two side quests. That was the one side quest. Oh. For this story. I just thought it pertained to it since, you know. Yeah. He, yeah. He killed a guy. He killed a guy. (laughs) Not the other people, but he killed that guy. Oh, my God. After this event, police thought it would be possible Roger was the mad poisoner since he had just proven he was capable of murder. Literally. Literally. He just did A random stranger. He just done it. Yeah. But they didn't have enough evidence to prove it, and without a confession, investigators had no way of charging him with those other crimes. Well, yeah. And listen to this. Roger was released from prison after just 15 years. Why? No idea. Probably good behavior. And he died in 2008. Uh, Well, good. Yeah, bye, Roger. Investigators were unsure if Roger really was the poisoner at all. But they decided to look at other avenues just in case. So they took another look at that ransom letter sent to Johnson & Johnson. Texts used the postage stamp from the letter and were able to track down an accountant named Robert Richardson. Wait, hold on. Didn't you say that his banking account information was on it? But it's been like a year and they haven't looked into that? We'll get back to that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is another side quest. He didn't really fit the profile for a killer and potentially thought at most what he did was like write the letter to gain some money. Fast, easy money, you know. But they issued an arrest warrant for him anyway, and they blasted out his name and photo to all news outlets. Richardson had apparently skipped town, and no one knew where he ran off to. Wait, what's his his name? Robert Richardson. Okay. Robert Richardson, he skipped town, nobody knew where he was. But the reason they couldn't find him is because this man didn't fucking exist. Uh, ooh. Oh, yeah. Plot twist. Plot twist. Oh, so it was like fake. His alias. In for, uh weird now police in kansas city missouri saw the suspect's photo and immediately recognized him as a man named james lewis not robert richardson the kansas city cops thought james lewis was responsible for a homicide in the area just a few years before this oh so who the fuck is james lewis yeah and why is he in missouri we'll find out it is missouri right yeah yes okay (laughs) (laughs) yes kansas city missouri okay So, James William Lewis was born Theodore Elmer Wilson in Memphis, Tennessee in 1946. I do. We're probably not going to like him, but I do enjoy the name Theodore because you call him Teddy. Yep. Ted. Or Theo. Theo. Okay. Anyway, he had a rough childhood. When he was just two years old, his dad left his mother and his two other siblings, and then their mother abandoned them in a random motel in Missouri leading all the siblings to be separated into different foster homes by social services. And he never saw his two sisters or mother ever again. Oh, well, that does Just really sad. Yeah, Yeah, that's sad. Not a reason to murder people, though. No. Little Teddy, he was sent to live with a different family, and his new adoptive mother, Charlotte Lewis, renamed him James Lewis. James was a handful as a child, and his new parents really struggled taking care of him and, like, building a bond. According to his cousin, Lucille, James was such a burden on the family that Charlotte at one point tried to return him to the adoption agency. Whoa. I had to do that with a dog once. I don't think you can do that with a child. (laughs) I don't think you can either. (laughs) So, Lucille was interviewed in 1982, and she compared her dear cousin to a rattlesnake because he was always ready to strike. Whoa. Just got a lot of anger. Fucking terrifying. James's adoptive dad tragically died from a stroke when he was 12 years old, and Charlotte who was now already struggling raising him, like, with another parent, is now a single mother. Ugh. Yeah. Damn. And uh, to top it all off, they lived in a home without plumbing or electricity. Oh, no. Yeah. So Charlotte was doing everything she could, but James was an absolute nightmare terrorist. 
Yeah. And he did everything he could to make his mother's life hell. I'm surprised they were able to adopt with uh, no, 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 no water, water electricity. I thought that was weird, too. Huh. I guess it was different but, times. But apparently at school, he was, like, well-behaved and intelligent. Like, such a good child. But huh. at home, he's a fucking monster. Hmm. Which is weird. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. Kind of like Duck. Duck is really well-behaved when we take her out to restaurants. <laughs> but at home, she's a fucking terrorist. <laughs> she's a monster. <laughs> so, uh, at age 19, James attempted to take his own life. And he was sent to a mental hospital in Missouri. And when he was there, he told authorities and doctors that his behavior and his family's comments were just a ploy that his family came up with so he could avoid the Vietnam draft. I have no to idea. To fake what... insanity? Or... Yes, to fake insanity. Oh, huh. Okay. Which I don't know if I buy that. That's just fucking weird. But uh, James ends up getting released from the hospital and he starts college. And it's here, our boy, he meets the love of his life, Leanne Miller. The two heated up real quick, and they got married on Thanksgiving Day in 1986. They were a perfect match. They were very bookish. They loved to learn, and they, like, wore really thick glasses, and they would have, like, really long discussions about politics and technology. Sure. Leanne loved her husband's intelligence, but there was a huge difference between the two that caused some rifts in the relationship. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. While Leanne was hardworking and accountable, James was pretty volatile and unpredictable. Well, He's yeah. flight risk. Yeah. So, yeah. You guys have something in common. Hashtag same. Yep. So, Leanne kept the two afloat while James was emotional and angry at work and had a hard time keeping his temper and thoughts in check. Because of this, James had a hard time keeping a job in the 70s. James and his wife decided to open up their own business called Lewis and Lewis Business Tax Service in like a less known part of Kansas City. James should have been focusing on their new business, but instead he was like sidetracked all the time by little side hustles that he thought would make them rich faster leaving leanne to run most of the normal day-to-day business operations our guy loves a, a get rich fast <laughs> yeah oh, he's into those multi-level marketing and, yep you know he would have bought arbon <laughs> yeah. so oh my god in 1975 the couple opened an import business with an indian-born pharmacist basically what they were going to do was import pharmaceutical equipment from india and then sell it to different companies in the States and make money off of it. So He's got a lot of ideas. He does. They just never pan out. Yeah, a little story in my life. Yeah. So <laughs> in the same year, the couple moved to a new home close to one of their clients, Raymond West, who was 72 years old. He was well known in the neighborhood and spent a lot of time outside gardening or hanging out on his front porch. Kind of like future dusty just, buns. Yeah. <laughs> just an old man in his lawn. Yep. Okay. In uh, July 1978, Raymond West mysteriously disappeared. I was going to say, I don't think Gold Ray is going to make it. He does not. Uh, When investigators dug into the case, they spoke with Raymond's friends and neighbors, including our tax guy, James Lewis. James had a check written to him, dated on the day that Raymond went missing for $5,000. So this prompted investigators to go be like, we need to go talk to this dude because he's got a check written in to him the last day that our guy was heard from yeah killed an old man for five thousand dollars did he though oh okay so (laughs) james told investigators that raymond took a little trip to the ozarks with his girlfriend which investigators didn't find that unusual but one of raymond's longtime friends charles banker thought that wasn't possible because in the entire 30 years they had been friends raymond had never once mentioned having a girlfriend or a partner ah where where'd we get that idea bad lie to come up with Mm -hmm. if you're trying to create a lie Three days later, police entered Raymond's home to look for clues as to where he could have possibly gone or, like, what happened to him. But everything looked fine in order, except for a note they found on the coffee table. The handwritten note read, quote, 
Please don't disturb until after one. Sleeping late. Raymond. We got this strange ass handwritten note. Suspicious. Whatever. As if he's sleeping in the other room and just decided to leave, leave a, a note, note for no one. Yeah. Because okay. he doesn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> His friend Charles was alarmed by the note since it wasn't in Raymond's handwriting. And he has never referred to himself as Raymond. He only ever went by Ray. And he introduced himself. Yeah. Like, yo, my name's Ray. It's just weird. It's so weird. It's very weird. <laughs> Charles was getting spooked out and paranoid, and he knew that James Lewis was the tax man and had been spending a lot of time at Ray's house since moving into the neighborhood. So he installed new padlocks on the home so that no one could get in and disturb the home and the crime scene. As Charles bent over in the garage, he heard a voice shouting at him asking what he was doing. He turned around and saw James running at him with a hammer in his hand. What is happening? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Eventually, okay. James calms the fuck down, but instead of leaving the property, he sat in his car down the street and watched Charles finish putting the new locks up in the home. Charles took this as a, like, stay out of my business intimidation tactic, but he didn't give a shit. He was not going to back down until he knew what happened to his friend. So after 21 days, so three weeks, there's still no sign of Ray or what happened to him. So Charles went to visit the home and entered alone. It was mid-August, and the house was humid and hot, and as soon as he opened the door... He smelled an awful stench permeating the house. Oh, smelled like death. Yep. So he walked into the spare room and saw some sheets on the floor. He lifted the sheet and found dried blood on the floor. Oh, no. Charles called the cops, and when they arrived on scene, they also smelled the blood, but also noticed a funky stain on the ceiling that seemed to be coming from the attic and dripping down the ceiling. Alex? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't like this at all. So when they got to the attic, all right, so they go up to the attic and they find the partially decomposed torso dressed in a polo shirt and the lower body was severed from the hips. The person was also tied up with rope and each leg was wrapped in a sheet next to the torso. So not only do they find a body up there, it's dismembered. So, they weren't able to tell right away, since the body was, like, so far gone in decomposition. But officers assumed it was probably Ray West. Oh, my God. What the fuck is happening? As they were searching through the rest of the home and the attic, one of the officers found a makeshift pulley that they assumed the killer put up in the attic to lift the body up there. Uh, Okay. Which is just weird and strange. So, with the body now discovered... James's weird behavior to Charles and the supposed like check written to him. Investigators are like, we need to pick this guy up and talk to him. James, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so James claimed Ray wrote him the check because he was borrowing some money from the older man, but the cops weren't buying it because Charles told them Ray was a penny pincher and he didn't even like loaning five dollars to someone, let alone five thousand dollars. Oh my God! Sounds like Clinton. <laughs> So, investigators wanted more evidence on James, so they asked him to consent to a search of his vehicle and home. James thought it was a ridiculous request, and he told the officials that they were fishing. But he did consent to the search. (laughs) Investigators found they were looking for immediately. Just on the front seat of James's car, they found 34 canceled checks in a briefcase containing tons of documents that belonged to Ray West. I mean, clean out the car first, my dude. He's an idiot. If you gave him permission and you know that's in the front seat of your car. Yeah. So wedged into his tire well, they also found the same rope that was tied around the body they found in the attic. Well, he ain't smart. He ain't the smartest. No. Detective David Barton, who was 24 at the time, was like, we've, bro, we've got you dead to rights. Yeah. And he was heading the investigation. 
which is impressive, being only 24 years old. Oh. Anyway, he made it to the, his mission to collect as much evidence as he could on James so that they could put the bastard away without any problems. Yeah, make it as cut and dry as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. So, when Detective Barton spoke with one of James's friends, she told him that her thirty-two caliber pistol had gone missing right after James had tried to buy it off of her. Ah. And James was also a member of the Future Farmers of America, FFA. The FFA. <laughs> which meant he would have had the knowledge to chop up and dismembered animal bodies. Which means he probably knew how to do that to a human as well. Even though it's a bit harder, but... James claimed innocence, though, and the cops didn't read him his Miranda rights. Oh, his Miranda rights? His Miranda rights were not read. So all the evidence they found in his vehicle was inadmissible. Oh, my God. Uh, So case was closed and James was released. (gasps) What? They can't use any of that evidence. They didn't read him his rights. Shut up. Yeah. Dave, Detective Barton, was (gasps) completely devastated. And since they were so close to catching him, he kept tabs on him for several years. And finally, he heard that James had been connected to a check fraud scheme. Barton started tailing James to catch him slipping, and he finally does. He was following him on a dirt road when he saw him steal the contents from a mailbox, and then steal the entire mailbox and chucked it into his truck. <laughs> just picked up the mailbox and took Yep, just took it with him. <laughs> okay. And Barton figured out what the scheme was. He had been signing up his, like, tax customers up for credit cards, then stealing them out of the mail when they arrived. Oh. Barton got an arrest warrant issued, but it was too late because James and his wife had packed up and fled to Chicago. Hey, that's not that's not a terrible idea. It's kind, yeah. of, kind of smart. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so they moved into a boarding house and changed their names to Robert and Nancy Richardson, which is where we got uh, the accountant from. We're, we're circling back to that. Uh... Side quest is starting to close. And it's Robert Richardson's fingerprint that was that's on the on stamp. The- uh-huh. <laughs> okay, I'm following. I got you. Um, and apparently this wasn't something new for James to do, and he had used 20 different aliases in the past to get away with his schemes. He just, that name just didn't have the quite ring to it that he wanted, so no, he had to pick another he one. pick another one. Yep. <laughs> so, the couple seemingly lived a pretty average, below-the-radar life when they got to Chicago, which is what they were aiming for. Uh, Nancy worked at a bookkeeping job for a travel agency, and Robert bounced around different jobs in the area per usual so james i'm gonna go back to calling him james because you know james aka robert richardson he liked attention and being seen as interesting and intelligent Uh so he would read different textbooks on psychology and history to try and like woo his neighbors when they would have conversations like people that use big words and they have no idea what the fuck they mean yeah kind of like that yep Uh, and he was actually really good at putting on the charm and one of his neighbors even called him the smartest man she's ever met because he could talk to you about any subject and convince you that no matter how much you knew on a topic, he, he knew more knew than more. Yep. He's a one-upper. They fucking from way annoy, back. They annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> uh, yeah. But things didn't stay normal for too long. Leanne's boss, aka Nancy, at her job was Frederick Miller McKahey, who was one of the heirs to the Miller Brewing Company. Ah, okay. You ever heard of that? Yep. I have. So, a little, little company called Miller. Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, old Frederick he didn't really have an eye for business like his family did, and he had diverted some of the company funds to pay off of some of his own personal debts. Ah, company was going downhill real fast. They ain't making any money. Damn. So his trusty bookkeeper, Leanne slash Nancy, yeah, saw what was coming, and in April 1982, business ended, and Leanne took a couple company envelopes with stamps on them, just in case. There is so much. She's like. 
James might be able to use these. I'm just going to take them just in case I need them. Yeah. So when final paychecks went out, every single paycheck bounced, and Leanne was stiffed out of $512. And James, a.k.a. Richardson, Richard. was fucking ballistic. He's pissed. All the employees opened up a legal battle to recover their missing wages, but since there was literally nothing left of the company, there's no fucking money. The companies didn't, like, no, nobody got anything. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to give, so you yeah. can't get anything. Yeah. No so, point in fighting it. No. So despite both of their professions managing money for other people, they were always on the verge of, like, being broke and live paycheck to paycheck. Which could make someone angry. Yep. Okay. So one of the lawyers involved with the lawsuit stated that both the Lewises were angrier than anyone else combined and kept stating that McKay was a crook and should be treated as such. So on September 6, 1982, James and Leanne went to Manhattan and stayed in a boarding house called the Rutledge Hotel under an alias. We're in New York now. Manhattan. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. September 6, 1982. Leanne got a job two weeks later and they claimed that they were never went back to Chicago after that. Because this is about a month before all that stuff happens. Before the Tylenol. Before the murders, yeah. Okay. Which is what James was trying to use for his alibi in the murders. He's like, I wasn't there. I was in Manhattan the whole time. Yeah, like I didn't even live there. Yeah. How could I... How could I have done that? I wasn't there. Yeah. So an informant that previously worked for Johnson & Johnson claimed that many believed that the culprit had flown into Chicago, distributed the Tylenol bottles, and then fled before the chaos ensued. I was going to say, who's to say you can't, can't you just, just get a flight? Yeah. <laughs> It's not that far. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, as national news is covering the poisonings, James got to work writing the ransom letter. Mm -hmm. You remember that bank account and the routing number that he wanted the money transferred to? Yeah. Yeah, that ended up belonging to Frederick McKay, his wife's old boss and owner of the travel agency. What? <laughs> James was hoping that the FBI would haul McKay and start, like, questioning him on the poisonings. And while digging into his past, discover his white-collar crimes he had committed and gotten away with. Oh. And James wanted payback. He was trying to frame... McKay. For 540 bucks or whatever that he owed Not him. even. 512 <laughs> bucks, yeah. <laughs> he was trying to frame him? Yep. Whoa. That's insane. Yeah. That is a next level of insanity. Yeah. Oh my god. So almost immediately, the FBI realized that McKay, he was not the murderer, and he had been set up. So now eyes are on Robert Richardson, a.k.a. James Lewis. Yeah. Because he had shown to have the largest grudge against McKay, for being openly furious with him for, like, basically just screwing his wife out of a paycheck. That's it. Oh my god. Framed him for murder. Yeah. <laughs> for $500. Yep. Oh, that's crazy. On October 13th, a warrant was out for James Lewis's arrest. And they weren't really sure if James is actually the poisoner or if he just, like, used it to blame, like, the whole thing on McKay. They're like, we're not sure if he just took that as an opportunity or if he actually did it, but we're issuing a warrant. Yeah. So, James apparently hadn't told Leanne about anything he was doing, which I don't fucking buy, including the letter he had sent. And he had sat down to tell her everything before the police to arrest, like, showed up to arrest his punk ass. Okay. Which I don't believe. I think she knew the whole time. Yeah. Anyway, the reaction he got from his wife was unexpected. James thought his wife would be happy and grateful for standing up for her and trying to take revenge. But she was just shocked and kept asking, how could you have done such a thing? Yeah. Frame a man for murder. murder. A bankrupt man. Yeah. <laughs> By the time the warrant was announced, James and Leanne's faces were plastered all over the news. So even though they were trying to, like, lay low in a shitty hotel in New York, 
they were going to get noticed sooner than they expected. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. One I of mean, the, yeah. One Hope. of the managers working in the hotel actually stopped James in the lobby and asked him if he had been a resident in one of the other hotels because he looked familiar. Okay. James brushed it off, but soon after, that manager realized why he looked so familiar, and it's because he had just saw him on, on the, the le- news. On the fucking news the <laughs> night before. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, so manager's like, fucking know that guy. He was, he was on the fucking news. What the fuck? Yeah, just saw his mugshot. Yeah. So James and Leanne, they don't stick around. They're like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. So they changed their aliases, again, to Edward and Carol Scott. Okay. And they moved to another shitty hotel. <laughs> Unfortunately for the Lewises, one of Leanne's co-workers recognized who she was and called one of the hotlines to alert them of the couple's location. Damn. They are literally getting caught left and right. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so over a hundred cops and FBI agents swooped into Manhattan to look for the two fugitives, and they looked all over town, but they couldn't find him. Oh. And the Lewises escape again. Wow. They're little cockroaches, they are. Yeah. So... While this is happening, the task force is still combing through evidence and any CCTV footage they can find, trying to put a name and face to their suspect. The TTF. The TTF. Okay. Behind all task force. (laughs) So, FBI agents happen to come upon footage from a Walgreens where they catch Paula Prince, the flight attendant who died in her apartment, (gasps) buying the tainted Tylenol. (gasps) And the suspect was caught in the frame. (gasps) Oh my god. In the back of the image... A man in a white lab coat had daggers, like staring eyes, on Prince the entire time. Because he knew! The image was really grainy, but they could tell that the suspect had a short hair and a bushy beard. Just like James Lewis. Oh, he knew! So, Kansas City police took some evidence from the Raymond West crime scene where they recovered a smudged print, and they sent it over to the FBI office so that they could compare it to the postage stamp on the ransom note from Johnson & Johnson. Oh my What do you know? God. They matched. Oh my god! This is... Insane. Yep. My mind is blown. Yep. This is crazy. <laughs> so the FBI profiled that if the poisoners were from out of town and didn't actually live local to Chicago, they would have wanted to keep tabs on the mad poisoner investigation to make sure they still weren't on the radar. Yeah. However, if they didn't live local to Chicago, the only access they would have would be to newspaper articles through a public library. Since investigators already knew that the Lewises were somewhere else hiding out, they spread their headshots around to all the local libraries across the nation to see if anybody recognized the couple. Oh my god. Because that's the only way that they could look up and see if there's any news. I'm losing it. Yep. I'm losing it over here. So, on December 13th, while James was hunched over a newspaper in a New York City public library, an FBI agent found him and arrested him, and he went quietly. Wow. Leanne surrendered herself the next day under the pretense that she was using a social security number to, like, fraudulently attain a job. She was released a few days later, but authorities didn't actually have enough evidence that wasn't circumstantial to charge James with the murders. But they were able to uncover some of his other con man crimes and charged him for extortion with, like, the ransom letter. And he literally killed a man, Mm -hmm. dismembered him. Yep. Made an intricate pulley system to put him in his attic. And then tried to frame his wife's former boss for (laughs) For the the poisonings. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, A year later, his trial started and his defense was basically that all he wanted to do was get McKay, he in trouble and not actually receive money from Johnson and Johnson. So he wasn't actually guilty of extortion. 
He's like, I wasn't even going to get the money. McKay, he was. So, like, I wasn't actually going to benefit from it. Yeah, the prosecutor was like, fuck you, dude. Uh, he was like, that's cut- not the point we're making. Yeah. He framed a man for murder. He was cutthroat as shit. And he attacked James Lewis's character on a stand. The jury ended up finding him guilty for attempted extortion. And he was sentenced to 20 years. 20 years. Damn. So the task force was still active, but significantly reduced. And they weren't really coming up with any new leads. They thought the murderer was still potentially still out there if it wasn't James. I think it's him. So we don't know. You don't know for sure. So an investigator ends up getting a call from James Lewis in prison, claiming he would help them solve the Tylenol murders. And it's not uncommon for them to, to do that. Like Robert yeah. Hansen did it, Ed Kemper. Yeah, you know what? They just yeah. like attention. Like, um, I want to help you solve this. Yeah. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, but I'm going to help you. Which is what James was going for. Yeah. So investigators saw this as an opportunity to get James to confess to the crimes. So during the interrogation, James gave several theories on how he thought the poisoner got the cyanide into the pills and even drew pictures and diagrams for how the poisoner most likely did it. So, like, he was like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, but if but it was, was me, me, I would have done it this way. <laughs> I literally an idiot. This is how I, I would have done it yeah. if I were to do it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when he was asked why he thought the killer would commit these crimes, James, like stared at the interrogator and said i think he was writing a wrong oh idiot fucking yeah. moron so to this day the fbi still considers this case open and james has never admitted to the crimes and he stands by that they were in new york the entire time the poisonings were happening wow wow in 2010 he was even subpoenaed for his dna along with roger arnold but it didn't match anything that the fbi had on file for the case oh really mm-hmm And I have a few conspiracy theories for you, if it wasn't James. Yes, Which I just included because I thought they were fun. Please, yeah, I want to know everything. This one's my favorite. Okay. (laughs) The Unabomber did it. Oh. And they didn't have enough proof. Oh. So, on May 19th, 2011, birthday. Ah, yeah. The FBI also requested DNA samples from Ted Kaczynski, aka the Unabomber, due to some connections that Ted had with the city of Chicago. The first four of the Unabomber's crimes happened in Chicago between 1978 and 1980, and his parents happened to live in Lombard, Illinois, in 1982, and he would visit them frequently. And Lombard is basically like 30 minutes to Chicago, when I did like a little search on the Googs. So nearby. Nearby, 30 minutes. It's technically a suburb in Chicago. Kaczynski targeted random victims with his explosives when he mailed or delivered them to different locations. Investigators didn't put it past him that he could have dabbled in the poisonings since in section 145 of his manifesto said that modern life was making people depressed. But it also, quote, gave them the drugs to take away their unhappiness. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. Now we have conspiracy number two. All right. The tainted pills came straight from the factory of Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Johnson & Johnson were made out to be the heroes during their swift action in the aftermath. And they even, like, even the hit they took in their, like, sales after doing so. But soon after they produced their new tamper-proof packaging and launched a PR comparing, like, trust and, like, gaining back their notoriety. Yeah, so it was an inside job. They're the ones that came up with the tamper-proof lids. Oh. Uh, 
And this was just the reasoning. Yeah, and, and they, they did... led the change in like the packaging and all that stuff, and all the other companies Ooh. followed suit afterwards. That's fascinating. And they made laws about it and stuff. Okay. Conspiracy number three is that either of the two original suspects did it, but the FBI only had circumstantial evidence and not enough to press charges. I think it's that one. I think it's that one, yeah. I do like option number two Two. because Mm -hmm. that would be wild. Yeah, that's an insane theory, but I mean, I wouldn't put it past America. No, no. (laughs) I really wouldn't. On the bright side, though, Johnson & Johnson got like a ton of praise for their quick work and getting the products recalled and all that good stuff. They had a complete makeover on the packaging and unfortunately, tons and tons of copycat attacks and murders happened after this crime. There's there's a lot of them. Oh, man. But yeah, literally a federal law was made uh, called the Tylenol Bill, which, you know, was for the package tampering and stuff. Oh. So it made it illegal to pay tamper with any kind of products on a shelf. Yeah. Because before, there wasn't a law for that. Well, at least we got that out of it, but holy fuck. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a, a wild, right? That was like a duck on a roller coaster. <laughs> that was like a duck on a roller coaster. <laughs> oh my god. I do have fun facts, though. <gasps> oh, yay! Since we're in our windy city, Chicago. <gasps> oh. Uh, I have fun facts about Windy City. Okay. I love Chicago. One of my good friends uh, lived there for quite some time, and I'd visit her often, and I loved it. The nation's first open heart surgery occurred there in 1983. Oh. Uh, it has the world's only backwards flowing river, and it was engineered that way to divert sewage away from Lake Michigan's water supply. How do you force a river to flow the opposite direction? I don't do the science. <laughs> you know what? Mariah that follows the podcast, Brody, her boyfriend, is an engineer. I'll ask him. Oh, okay. I'm like, Brody, how does that work? Yeah. They also have the world's tallest building designed by a woman. Oh, okay. And my favorite, this is the most important yeah. They created the world's first brownie here. Brownie? Brownies. Oh, that's uh, fun. By Bertha Palmer, oh. who made them for the 1983 Columbian Exposition. Oh, thank you, Bertha. Thank you, Bertha, for the brownies. Yeah, that's sweet. We would not have brownies and ice cream without you. That's, yeah, that's true. Oh, my goodness. That was crazy. Bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> that was so wild. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to go in, uh, well, I don't know which direction I was expecting it to go. But it went it, in like 17 <laughs> different directions. But it wasn't that one. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and baby Newt is, he's spicy. wide awake. He's spicy. He slept that whole time until just now. Yep. Oh, uh, well, we're going to go get some crab legs, or at least I'm getting crab legs. I don't, I don't really do getting. crab legs. I don't know what I want yet. Oh. I'm not a big crab person. No? No. Oh, I'm all about that. I've been to, wait, what's it called? Shuck and Shack. Shuck and, yeah, all the kickball people say that it's like the spot. It was really good. And then we're going to go to the water park. Yep, and chill in the lazy river. We're going to float on the lazy river until my entire body is pruny. Yep. <laughs> It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a good time. We'll post photos. Yes. Yay. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, thanks for hanging out. Love, Love you. Bye. bye. Don't take any Tylenol if it's not like perfectly packaged and you know that some crazy person didn't put cyanide in there. Bye. Thank bye. you. <laughs> thank, thank you, Bertha.
Thank you for listening to Hashtag Murder. Episodes are written and edited by Alex Lewis and Scarlett Hipton. Our intro and outro music is written and played by Derek Branton. Our cover art is by the lovely Lauren Walker. And our name was created by the most wonderful, supportive, and super hot boyfriend, Dustin Branton. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, you can reach us at hashtag murderpod at gmail.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G murderpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell all of your friends about us. Thanks. Bye. Uh, aid character. Hold let me start over. Oh. You got a tinkle? I do. Okay. <laughs> oh, you sleeping? The shuck and shack. How could I forget? I know. Is he awake? Yep, he's right there. Oh. He's he been just... awake this whole time? I don't know. was in here. Normally he attacks my legs, so I think he just woke up. <laughs> Little monster. Wait, what did it say? Newton. <laughs> and like being seen as interesting and intelligence. It... Fuck. <gasps> we could do him. <laughs> Actually, Clinton oh. probably does too. I hear you purring. Oh. A big purr. Oh my goodness. He's just a baby. He's such a baby. Boop. Eventually, news spread without. Ugh.